This Gum Bands podcast is made possible by the Buell Foundation, serving southwestern Pennsylvania since 1927, and by listeners like you. Thank you. Welcome to Gum Bands number 12. Brooke Barker is our guest. She writes and illustrates books that may look like they're intended for children, but I think they are full of such interesting information and sly little jokes that I can't imagine an adult who wouldn't enjoy them too. She's known on Instagram as at sadanimalfacts. Let me say a few words of thanks, too, to Paula Zetter, who designs all of our graphics, Dave Hallowell, who promotes us, and Ryan DiCaprio, who gets us up on the internet in all the right ways. Shouts of thanks, too, to Frank Cagliero, Ash Warren, and my co-producer, Rich Capaldi. The three of them worked the cameras on this episode. If you're enjoying Gumbands, we all encourage you to look for the donate link in the description wherever you're finding this podcast. Become a member. And enjoy this talk with Brooke Barker, born in Pittsburgh. All right, this is Gumbands number 12. Uh, I'm really happy today. Uh, I'm, I'm here with Brooke Barker, who is a author and illustrator of these, I, I would say, unusual books. Maybe a bit unusual. Um, that I love. I, and, I, you know, part of it's I love the way you draw, um, which seems very simple, but extremely detailed. And... Uh, they are full of things that I would never think about. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Thanks for having me and for saying that. I'm laughing already. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> good, good. Um, I would say that the, the, the title that seems to be most associated with you is Sad Animal Facts. Yeah, I have always been obsessed with sad animal facts. Animal facts in general, but especially the sad ones. And I think it's maybe in the little intro to that, you mentioned that your grandmother had animal cards yeah so my grandmother when i was born she wrote she gave me a book when i was born and in it she wrote maybe you be a friend to every creature it was an animal book so growing up i think i was a pretty dramatic child hopefully i'm a less dramatic adult (laughs) but i really felt it's like i need this to be true i need to be a friend to every creature um but i didn't have any pets so instead i sort of became this animal obsessed kid and loved reading about animals wow like determined your your career determined from birth yeah i like to think so and where was that? Where are you from? Where were you um, born? I was born in Pittsburgh, actually. Yeah, I was born in Oakland, Shadyside area. My parents were students at CMU and Pitt. Oh, I, I think maybe I knew that, but then you've moved all over. Yeah, so then since I was here a month, but it really left an imprint. And then I grew up mostly in Minnesota and moved back here about five years ago. And were you in Portland for a while? Yeah, in Portland, Oregon, which is one of my favorite places and great animals there. And Toronto? Yeah, Toronto in Canada. Can I just say other names of yeah, cities? Yeah, just name But <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, I, I learned of you or learned about you and your husband, Boaz, because he called me to be on a podcast. Yeah, he, Boaz had a podcast about sandwiches, and we had become such big fans of you. We had sort of had this obsession with Pittsburgh, you know, when you have like something you say to each other all the time where you say like, oh, this is all going really badly. We should like move to Chile and start a bean farm. And ours was, we'll just move to Pittsburgh and get a dog. That's what we wanted to do. So we were just really, that was our soothing quality time was just like to look at videos of Pittsburgh. And your videos came up a lot, obviously. And so when he started the Sandwich Podcast, he was like, it would be amazing to get Rick C back on it. 
Oh, that's interesting that there's a Pittsburgh connection because I thought the connection was through this national PBS documentary I'd done about sandwiches that you will like. That may have helped us find Pittsburgh in the beginning. It's, it's a chicken and egg scenario. All right. Well, and um, I love that podcast. It was, I, I think, you know, they, it's two minutes long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a short one. You can listen to a lot of them fast. Yeah. The sponsors are longer than the interviews. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yes. Um, but... Uh, at that time, uh, I believe he called me or texted me from Amsterdam. Yeah, we were living in Amsterdam, um, and we wanted to move back to America just to be a little closer to our native language and our families. And so we visited Pittsburgh and loved it. Um, why were you in Amsterdam? We moved. I got a job in Amsterdam. We were traveling um, and visited Amsterdam, and it was really fun. So we went into an office where we knew some people and got a job that day because it just like it seemed so fun to move there. Wow. Can I ask, doing what? Uh, working at an advertising agency. Okay. And you still do some of yeah, that? Yeah. So in my spare time for my second job, I also write TV commercials. Oh, okay. So like a, a writer, and because writing is part of what you do, even though some, I mean, I think I heard, I, I saw something where you, you said, I write jokes. Yeah. And, and that's true. I mean, there's sad animal facts. And each page has a different animal and a factoid about the animal. Yeah. My goal is that reading the book, everyone will find a new favorite animal and find that no matter what they're going through, if they're having like a tough family relationship or a strange digestive issue, or they're just tired or a night of poor sleep, they'll find an animal who really relates to them because there are animals going through all the same weird things we are and much weirder. And as a kid, do you remember certain books that like you in, that influenced you? I was just really into, as a kid, you can find these books that are just packed with facts, which I feel like we don't read as much as adults, but I just would get into one animal and just check out every book on them. Snow monkeys. I really had a snow monkey kick. Did you have like an animal phase? No, I don't remember. I, I, had, a, I had a Greek myth phase. Greek myth phase. That's a good one. You know, as a kid, I loved any book that I could find in the library about Greek myths. Yeah. You know, I talked to an editor about doing a sad Greek myth fact book because there's so many little, I mean, Greek myths are full of like sad little bits. Yeah, Icarus falls from the sky <laughs> yeah, like a giraffe when he's happen. born. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Giraffes fall six feet as soon as they're born. I know this because I read sad <laughs> animal facts. Um, but, you know, uh, so different animals as you grew up. Yeah. So I was really into snow monkeys. And then that sort of, in the end, I was into every animal and especially just knowing interesting facts about them. Like worms have five hearts or zebras can't sleep alone. Sharks are losing a tooth a week. It just was interesting to try to work these into conversations. And as I tried more and more, I realized they don't make for very good conversations. So I stuck to drawing them and making books about them. Um, and so there's research involved. Yeah, there is. And at the back of the book, there's actually, I assume you've also written all the notes that sort of explain in a little bit more detail. I assume that if, a, if a, someone who's reading the book says, what does that really mean? You sort of explain it uh, in a more adult. Yeah. I don't want to say adult because I, as an adult, don't find these like as kids' books. I, I Yeah, I meant them to be adults' book, and I guess because they have pictures, they're for kids too, but they're okay for any age. Um, but yeah, I guess like one fact is that a snail can, um, these snails can like regrow their eyes. And so that's a fact, but it's also a story. Like, why is the snail's eye coming off? Why does it need to regrow it? Why do we know this? And so that 
was the reason I was like, we have to have an appendix at the back that explains these. Otherwise, you just say a sheep can remember 50 faces, and it's like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> so it's nice to have the appendix at the back where there's the research. And most of that research at first uh, done and in libraries, but then online? Yeah. So a lot of animal books, but then I really like um, most newspapers will have at least one new fact a week where they'll, they'll look at recently published journals or studies and they'll like bring in one that's sort of pop culture and talk to the scientist. Um, so a few years ago, there was a study about whether or not dolphins procrastinate. And, you know, it's nice to think that maybe dolphins procrastinate like we do. So they had that in like the New York Times and other newspapers and they interviewed the scientists, had some dolphin pictures. So every week there'll be a story that's sort of like that. That's like that you grab onto. Yeah. So I'll be like, Ooh, that's a good one. Um, and then now that I've been doing this a while, I'll have people send me things. So they'll send me like an article they published or a book they read. And so the facts sort of come to me, which is nice. And at what point do you say I could make a book? So I had been drawing them for a while and I was using Instagram and there was something on Instagram called the 100 day challenge. This was in 2015. And I thought maybe I could do 100 of these. I could do 100. I could do one a day for 100 days. And it seemed like a lot, but I was like, okay, I'll try it. And by day 50, I think, it had gotten really out of hand and there were articles about it, which is really exciting. And I had a publisher reach out and say, do you want to make a book of them? So I hadn't even thought I could do it. But I was like, yes, sure, I'll try it. But now, uh, growing up, you must have been drawing all Yeah, along. my dream had always really been to make a book of something. And, and you, like, loved art class in high school? Yeah, so I took art lessons, and I went to school, and didn't end up studying art, but it was always something I was doing on the side, like, literally with my hand while doing other things. And uh, in one of the... Uh, little paper pamphlets. That oh, yeah, one I, of the zines. I think you talk about the fact that you don't really like it so much, and but you always write with a pen, or always draw with a pen. Yeah. I think and it's really there's not nice. a lot of sketching beforehand. Yeah. So I like drawing with a pen because then you're just sort of decisive about what you're doing. That's sort of how I've been able to find my own style is drawing with a pen and just sort of embracing what happens. And you might end up with like a pretty wobbly ferret or a rabbit with more arms than you meant to have. But it just sort of makes the drawing a little more decisive. And you don't get pencil all over your hand. So I've always liked drawing with a pen best. Um, and does usually the fact come first? And I mean, Obviously, yeah, because you want to know the animal and then you find a picture of the animal and you try to figure out how you're yeah. going to draw it and what details need to be there? Honestly, usually the joke comes first. So every um, everything has like a fact and then an animal and a joke. So like jellyfish have no hearts and the jellyfish is saying like, sorry, not sorry. Usually I'll hear, maybe I'll even eavesdrop on someone or I'll hear a kid say something, I'll just hear a really funny sentence and I'll think that would be so good for an animal to say. And then I have to do the research to find what animal would say that. So if someone, if a kid said, sorry, not sorry, like you hear a teenager or something say, and you're like, wow, that's really catty. I would love to hear an animal say that. Then you think like, okay, well, a heartless animal would say that. So then you like do some research or I have a lot of tabs open in like a folder of different facts. Then you find the jellyfish and you sort of match them. It's sort of a backwards way of doing it. Jellyfish don't have a heart. They don't have a heart, yeah. Some blobfish don't have any muscle. Yeah, there are a lot of animals that don't have parts that we think of as essential. Um, so it, it's funny, in, in getting ready for this, I, I, I read all of Sad Animal Facts again, and I said, you know, to me, I mean, it's a good gimmick. They're not so sad, They're it's really just not. fascinating. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it, 
I guess there's an element of sadness. There's nice. It's nice to have a little bit of sadness because animals are cool. You know, they're fast and they're interesting and they can survive all these things. But it's nice to have an element of, I don't know, what real life is like. And real life involves days dealing with people as heartless as jellyfish or dealing with little problems. And it's nice to think of adorable animals having those same issues. So I feel like that's where the fun comes in for me. Well, I, I uh, and so the, you did the 100 day challenge, but didn't, I don't know if you finished the 100 day challenge. I did, challenge. yeah. I kept going way past 100 days. Um, and the, So that's 2015, and the first book is 2016. Yeah. I think. That's, and it's Sad Animal Facts. Yeah, and that was Sad Animal Facts. And it took about, um, it took about a year for it to come out. So I sort of worked with the publisher and make it happen and then get it all together. And then it was on bookshelves in 2016. Was it a totally pleasant experience? Honestly, yeah, it really was. It was really nice. I, um, I'd never published a book before, so I asked a friend for a recommendation for a book agent. And my friend said, um, talk to the agent. The agent's going to promise you the world. And I met my agent. I had the meeting with her, and she was like, Brooke, I think you could have a book that you could own in your own. You could hold it in your hands. And I was like, wow, that's promising me the world. That's not a lot. (laughs) But um, the book did so well, and my agent's amazing. And it's just been, I think, because of how fun that first experience was, it's made me want to write more books. Excellent. Well, I mean, I I wrote down some notes, things that I just thought, like, cows produce the most when they hear REMs, everybody hurts. These scientists are really doing the Lord's work. It's just, like, so interesting to hear these facts. And then I worry that everybody hurts. No one listens to that anymore. I know, yeah. I think it's the that study, well, if you read at the back, it's sort of about the pacing of the song. So it was like, maybe they're, they're playing them some more recent ones that have a similar pacing. Hopefully there's some Olivia Top Rodrigo with cows. it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, you have different sections in the books, marsupials. Um, uh, and it reminded me, um, in, in the early 90s, I got to take my mom to Australia. Oh, wow, that's so cool. It was, because it was because a guy here at WQED who was working with us, Doug Bolin, his wife was a flight attendant for Northwest Airlines, which doesn't exist anymore. And he came in one day and said, Everybody, Kay wants you to know that right now you can go to Australia cheaper than you will ever be able to in our lives. Wow, that's a good fact to know. And my mom sort of had a standing offer. She, If I would take the time, she would pay. So I called her and I said, do you want to go to Australia? Oh, she said, of whoa. course I do. You know, anywhere. Yeah. Did you meet a lot of animals? Well, no. You know, it was a little bit disappointing. I mean, there were some interesting animal things. But, you know, you sort of want to see a kangaroo in the yeah. wild. And oh, in we, the wild. Yeah. And and one night I thought we were going to and we didn't. Instead, we saw, I would say, hundreds if not thousands of parrots. Oh, whoa. That's cool. Who sit on the road. And then when, wow. they, when the, the lights of your car hit them, they fly they away. They just scatter. Yeah. Um, but uh, we wanted to see a koala. Of course. And um, I... So we had driven from Sydney to Brisbane, and we hadn't, you know, seen anything like we wanted to see yet. And so I said, "Let's see if we can find like a, an animal sanctuary or something." Where yeah, we can go. have your and bingo a, list. Um, <laughs> dingo? Did you? Bingo. It sounds like dingo. Your dingo card. Um, and uh, I went to a like a tourist agency. It was like a, a kiosk. In, yeah. In a, in a in a on a street. And I said to the woman, I said, you know, like, we want to see, like, a koala and maybe a kangaroo. And she goes, oh, yeah, of course you do. She goes, you know, she said, I understand that. She goes, but you know what? I would really love to see a squirrel. 
I didn't know they didn't have they don't have squirrels. Wow, in really? Yeah. Wow. And she thought, and I thought, you know, we have a place called Squirrel Hill. Yeah, we're in Squirrel <laughs> Homeland. We're just like right in the heart of squirrels. And actually, this morning on my walk, I saw a black squirrel, which oh yeah, you know, is is unusual. It is. Um, but they're around here. We have, uh, I don't know, the what you call that, a group of squirrels. Yeah, we had one in our black yard, backyard, a black one. Um. But did I, you see a koala then? Yes, we did. Okay, good. So yeah, um, and, but they—they're not very active. They just sort of sit. In yeah. And I remember. I think she said, "With their bum in a tree, that, you know, they just sit <laughs> yeah. there." Well, eucalyptus doesn't have that many nutrients, so they just need to nap and hold still. Well, um, and uh, but you also deal with fish and insects and all kinds of things. So you're, you're always just out there with your antenna on. Yeah, I feel like every day I'll really have my mind blown about a totally different type of animal fact. I feel like we sort of assume, like we see animals depicted in movies and stuff, and we sort of assume that they're pretty similar to us. But they are just, you know, the animals really prove there's like no wrong way to be a creature. They're just sort of existing in a totally different way than I am. And fish and insects are like the ultimate proof of that. Yeah, and sometimes I'm... You, you'll introduce me to animals that I've never heard of before. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, in fact, I, I a couple times like Googled pronunciation just to make sure that I was bonobos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I didn't realize, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly the time space um, that after I was on uh, Boaz's uh, podcast, that he called me again and said, you know, we're going to move back to America and we're looking at various cities. I probably didn't know that you were born in Pittsburgh, which would have put it on the list. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, well, because I spent such a limited, it was such a, a pivotal but short <laughs> time here. You don't have any memories yeah. of it. Yeah, I couldn't see on color yet. So <laughs> it was, I don't think we really led with that. But yeah, it was nice to come back. And now I know the city better than my parents did. So I'm really, I feel like I can brag about that. Do we not see in color? I think when you're born, you just see in black and white, sort of, right? I don't know. Gosh, well. This is a sad American, maybe a sad some, human yeah, fact. Yeah, some parents listening can weigh in, but. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. You know, uh, we don't have kneecaps until we're like five years old. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. We develop kneecaps. Gosh. I know this because I broke my, I, I ruptured yeah. my quadricep tendon. And I learned a lot you about kneecaps. You know a kneecaps. lot about kneecaps. And, uh. Yeah, like little kids when they're playing and everything, most of them do not have kneecaps. Wow. They're developing. Gosh, there are so many human facts out there. Um, and uh, I saw someplace that you were also for a while a reference librarian, which yeah. must have helped th your knowledge of how to do all of this. Yeah, I've always loved books, obviously. So in college, I worked at the Humanities Reference Desk in my university. So I was there ready to help people do library research and write essays, which I thought was really fun and they often didn't think was fun. So it was fun to sort of show them how to use the library, but also had a lot of downtime, which was a good time to just draw animals and look up animal facts and read the books. Um, when you guys came back from Amsterdam, did you really look at other cities? Yeah, we did. We really liked Pittsburgh because we just really got into the history really quickly. It's hard not to be excited about just like Pittsburgh has so much. And I feel like there's just so much to explore that every block will have some really interesting story. We looked at some other cities, but once we visited Pittsburgh, we didn't really think about them. Oh, really? And so you decided to move here? Yeah. Um, and um, Boaz is from where? He's from Oregon, Portland. And okay. that's where we met. You met in Portland? Yeah. And uh, 
So there wasn't a new job here. No, yeah. We were both sort of working on our own. I'm doing books, and he was sort of doing filmmaking and writing, too. And so just thought Pittsburgh would be a good home base. Hey, it worked out, I hope. Yeah, it did, definitely. No. Um, and so uh, in all of this, uh, you, you have a new, newish book. I yeah, think I it do. came out last year. Yeah, it came out last year. Um, and it's, it's called uh, How Do Meerkats Order Pizza? Yes. And it's not only an extension, I think, of more animal facts, but it also deals with the scientists who discover these facts. Yeah. As I said, this is like has always been my favorite part is I'll hear an animal fact and it's interesting, but then it leads me to like such a cool story. Um, so like the sheep can only remember 50 faces, for example. That just, it sounds kind of interesting, but when you think about how they studied it, they built this barn that had pictures of two sheep faces on it, and the sheep, if they walked through the face of, like, Garrett the sheep, they would get a treat at the end, and they kept changing the faces until the sheep got confused and couldn't remember anymore. Um, It's just like, that is a way more, when you think of, like, a thousand sheep walking through this barn with giant blown-up sheep face pictures on the front of them, and they're giving out treats to the one that identified the right face, it's just like, that's a really strange story. And I was like, I've got to talk to more scientists and find out what their job is like. Oh, I think I didn't understand that they were looking at sheep faces. Sheep faces, yeah. Sheep are recognizing sheep faces. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I thought maybe they were like trying to teach them human Yeah, it's faces. true. I think that fact they were studying, a lot of scientists study like how community works in animals. So they were especially interested in sheep faces. Which is part of the whole deal with meerkats. Yeah. So meerkat community is really important. And their communication is like how they survive. They're pretty small. They're soft. There's a lot of dangerous things out there in the Kalahari. So this scientist, Marta Manser, has been living with them and has like under learned their language and can sort of figure out what they do. Um, but it also made me wonder uh, how much contact do you get with the scientists or, and like to explain to them what you want to do yeah, um, and, and all of that. Do you ever get to meet them? Sometimes. So this book was written during lockdown. So I didn't get to meet anyone in person. It was sort of in early days of like Zoom and stuff where it was like, oh, I could do this and I could actually talk to all these people remotely, which sort of made the book possible. It was interesting. Um, but a lot of times I don't, I haven't met the scientists in person yet. Uh, but they've been so generous with their time and really fun to work with that hopefully I'll get to meet them in person sometime. And I, I found it totally inspirational. Gosh, this is great. I mean, you know, uh, I, I want every kid I know to read this. <laughs> it is. All the scientists in the book, one thing I thought was interesting is they loved animals growing up, obviously. And adults in their lives said, well, if you love animals, you could be a veterinarian or a zookeeper, which are two good jobs. But they're obviously like a thousand things you can do if you love animals. So it was a fun book to write to sort of show these people's stories and show some of the things you can do if you love animals. You could be like a politician, a radio presenter. You could be an artist. You could be a, you know, you could be doing genealogy. You could be doing all kinds of things. Yeah, some of them are doctors, and yeah. some of them aren't. Yeah, some of them are really out in the field, and some of them don't want to be out in the field. Some of them are at a computer. Some of them are writers. And so, uh, do you? Uh, so you may have met them all on Zoom. Yeah. And so you know what they look like, and you say, "I'm going to draw you too." And yeah. So- It was nice. Um, A lot of people sent me photos. So if they talked about their childhood pet, they'd send a photo or they would send a picture of like what their research vehicle looked like. There's some things that really don't make sense until you see a photo. So it's good to have photos for reference. Wow. And and talking to them about like what they had to bring with them. Yeah. I I love that too. You know, a little uh, guide to what they have to bring for their job. 
that's one of my favorite parts because I asked every scientist and I thought sometimes it'd get boring, but it was always interesting. Some of the things they need, um, like the, um, Dr. Teets in Antarctica is bringing, he's using like spoons to scoop up bugs. They're just using things you wouldn't expect. And he was told not to use certain spoons. He was using the spoons from the cafeteria, but when most of the spoons went missing, they were asked to bring their own spoons. Um, and, uh, then this is a different publisher. Yeah. So have things just grown? So this was my first book that's really for kids. Um, the other books, like, they're appropriate for any age. But this book we really, like, targeted to kids and made sure it was, like, at their reading level and made sure there's, like, proper spelling, for example. It's just it's like a good, it's, like, a great book for kids to read. So I went with a kids publisher that was really great, and they really helped me, like, facilitate that. Uh and, and, and that's Simon & Schuster. Yeah, it's the imprint, Simon & Schuster's imprint for kids. It's slash kids, I think. Or, yeah, I think it, um, gosh, books for young readers, I should know. And like, um, I'm just interested, did it start as How Do Meerkats Order Pizza? Or did you, did you, did you know that would be the title? I didn't know that would be the title. So with my other books, I knew the title early on. And this one, I was sort of just calling Scientist Book Working Title. And my editor and my art director, the editor sort of shapes the book and sort of gives feedback and makes it better. And the art director sort of also has like art input about where things should go or what font we should use. They really loved the pizza title because there are meerkats pretending to, there are meerkats ordering food and then humans order pizza to show how similar we are. And they're like, we should bring that pizza onto the cover. Okay, and and the whole idea is that meerkats have a way of communicating and make a group decision. Yeah, sort of like when humans are picking a restaurant, you'll sort of put out feelers, see if you can get enough people to agree. They're voting on like where to go to find the best scorpions. And, and here, here the option is, to, who likes olives? Mm-hmm. Now, I also know from reading one of your little pamphlets that you suggest that you always write the words before you draw the bubble. Yeah, that is a pro tip. If you're going to write a speech bubble, write the words first, because you don't know how big that bubble should be at the beginning. No one knows that. And, like, because you're writing in pen, how often do you have to redo the whole thing? Um, Ever? Not. Well, sometimes... Sometimes with meerkats, there are a lot of meerkats in the book, so I don't need to redo it on meerkats anymore. But usually I'll sort of imagine in my mind how it's going to look, and then I'm sort of drawing what I'm seeing in my head. But I will do sometimes, like here's an example of a, now you can't see this on the podcast, but I'll draw sort of a bad version that looks pretty pencil-like, and then I'll just take a brand new sheet of paper, and then I can sort of draw it knowing how I want it to be. Excellent. And, and what does that bubble say? Uh, this was for a French subway ad. They... Um, I pulled random things out of a drawer to bring today, <laughs> but there I did an, an ad campaign about animals for like a, a zoo in Montreal. So this is, um, I think it says, it means like everything happens in the hips. It's about like bears dancing. So they helped me write the speech bubbles. Cause they could be <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Right. No, I, I put a marker in here just because um, sometimes I laughed out loud and this is about whales. Um, and uh, every male in one pod sings the same song, um, but they pick up pieces of other... Yeah, I'm obsessed with this fact. <laughs> They'll have, like, pop songs. Right, and but then, but the, this is what made me laugh. Okay, my next song is called Reading is Fun, But the Books Get So Wet, Fish the Ocean. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the humor of the books is great, and also, 
I, I don't know what to call it, sort of the breaking of the fourth wall of the book. Yeah, I like that animals can be like a bit irreverent in the book. It seems like they'd be a bit confused by us, and they're sort of just doing their own thing. They have very different problems than we do, so it's fun to sort of imagine them going a bit off. Well, and like there's a horse that sort of gets lost in the book almost, yeah. or he wants to be in the book, and he he doesn't fit in exactly right. It's fun with the book, and I tell people this all the time. You can just sort of invent whatever you want and put it in there, and now it's part of the book. It's a fact, so you can just sort of introduce that and then have your own joke in there that you can keep playing with. Well, I mean, that's one of the things I love most about them is it's totally unpredictable. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, just... Uh, but yeah, I, I can't say that I was aware that this book, more than others, was for kids. It's true. You wouldn't know. I feel like it's equally for adults as well. Um, and so it's not, it doesn't feel like a kid's book like I think adults would like it too. But no. we really wanted to get it in schools. It was really popular with school librarians, um, which has been cool to see. Um, it, it's also uh, inspirational that so many of the scientists are women. Yeah, it was funny. A few people asked me when I was working on it, like, is this book like just about female scientists? And I really just picked scientists I like. um, And I picked ones whose facts I like, where they would have a really interesting fact. And then a lot of a lot of them just happened to be women. And sometimes brought their own jokes along. Yeah. Uh, Like, uh, what kind of witches are on the beach? Yeah, it was fun to get to know the scientists and hear the the little you know the little things they're thinking about. Um, one of my favorites is this French scientist um, Cécile Saramien. She works with the the primates who works with poop, um, and she was talking about how growing up she had these animal fact cards that had a picture just of the animal's face, so she would imagine the size of the animal. And as she grew up and learned, she, they were, were really quite off. So they're these animals that are like 10 pounds, and she was imagining they're the size of like polar bears. Um, but you also mentioned poop, which is really funny because there are so many different ways that it's incorporated in all this in the studies. Yeah. And, uh, and also in the word choice. Yes. <laughs> you know... Uh, Different word. I think the word feces is used in sand an- yeah, animals. This fact. one, there's a lot of scientific words for poop. And poop, I guess it's like a free research material that scientists can find. And so they're using it and studying it. They're just like, they're not going to pass up a perfectly good free thing to research. So it's in there a lot. My mom's always like, you got to do less poop in the next one. But I'm like, well, when animals stop pooping, I'll stop. <laughs> no, but I think kids love that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I love it too. Yeah. It's just, you know, uh, it's just the fact that it's so there um, that, that makes it even more fun. Yeah. And poop's important. You're learning a lot from it. For sure. For sure. Um, and just uh, the stuff that I learned in the last couple of days reading this, uh, that there are more chickens on earth than any other bird. I know. I thought that was amazing. Well, speaking of squirrels, you know, they haven't made it to Australia. I guess chickens have really traveled wherever humans have traveled. So we've brought them everywhere. Yeah, Frank, who's running the camera here, he used to have chickens in his yard. Oh my gosh, that's cool. I'm jealous. a wolf? Or a fox, I'm not sure. Oh, wow. You know. Seems like a real heartbreaker to have chickens. Yeah, I mean, but uh, we used to get eggs here. Gosh, that's cool. (laughs) Um, You know, and eggs from Frank's chickens are always wonderful. that sounds amazing. Um, And uh, the... uh, 
But, you know, we, we talked about no, possibly no squirrels. I, I don't know that. It's just that, that woman. Well, but she hadn't seen any. Right. There's a woman, well, a woman in, in Brisbane. Yeah. There's a woman in Brisbane who's not seen a squirrel. That's the real fact. Um, and, uh, but the only insects and the largest land animal on Antarctica are midges. Yeah. Midges are this little, this insect that live everywhere, but then this one species lives in Antarctica. Um and because so few things live in Antarctica full time, um, the midges really get the award for largest land animal. You know, you have seals going back and forth, you have um, penguins, but these midges, they're it. And, and I knew I wanted to do a scientist who was in Antarctica because I was just so curious about how you get there. And, you know, the days are so short in the winter and so long in the summer. And it was just so interesting to hear about working there and what it's like. And, and they discuss guano. Yes, guano is one of their words for poop. <laughs> there really should be like at the beginning of every chapter, it should be like this chapter's word for poop. Um, and uh, the the whole, uh, you know, every part of it, I, I mean, it's like any book. It, it, different people react to different things. Um, but, you know, white-tailed deer, I'm interested because they eat so much out of my garden. It's true, yeah. You know, and there's someone out there studying them and when are they active and all of that, um, which I hadn't expected. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of times people are like, oh, scientists are studying the endangered animals. Um, but there are scientists studying pretty much every animal that's out there. There's even a group of scientists in Canada that has what they call squirrel camp, where they are just studying a family of red squirrels in Canada. This isn't in the book, but they're just, they go to squirrel camp and they study this family of squirrels as though it's like, a, you know, a famous family. They know the squirrels so well. They know their names. I don't, I think they have names. Yeah, they definitely know their families. They're really into like, this one has seven babies last year. These are her children. This is where they are. And you'd think, I don't know, I think it's nice to know that if it's a squirrel, it's a rat, it's a midge, there's a scientist that like, this animal is going to change the world and they're devoting their job to it. And and one of those studies was with jaguars. And you, yes. you obviously loved one part of that a lot. Yeah. So as soon as I read this fact, I was obsessed. A jaguar, they're very shy. And so they're hard to photograph. They're hard to observe. And they're also endangered. So we don't know how many are left. And we don't know how to protect them because we don't really even know like where they live, what their life is like. We just know that there are fewer and fewer of them. Um, and when we know more about an animal, it's easier to protect them. So for a long time, the scientists in the book were just, you know, sniffing for scat with dogs to to monitor where the jaguars are. They'd find a lot of poop here, and they'd be like, oh, they must like this. And then they had this idea to set up motion-activated cameras and put different smells on them. And they found one smell, which the jaguars love, which I brought here today. It is Calvin Klein obsession for men which is like a jaguar's favorite smell. <laughs> and people are always like, how did they know it was this? I think, honestly, this is the cheapest perfume per by volume that you can buy. That's why they used it. Um, but it like has like civet musk, artificial civet musk, which smells like a civet was there and is like really interesting to a jaguar. So once they started spraying, you might just want to smell it, not spray it, because it's pretty strong. <laughs> but once they no, started spraying... I think spraying, I used this in high school. Oh my gosh, I feel like so many people did. So many people, when I brought this to events, they're like, can't I can't just smell it. <laughs> Um, when they started spraying this, the jaguars would come to the cameras and they just like hang out there. Like now the camera's a hangout spot, they're bringing friends. And so they've gotten to know the jaguars so much better. Yeah, because I think in your chapter on jaguars, it's another animal that's pictured there. Yeah. Because it's so this, rare to see a jaguar. Yeah, before then they didn't really have pictures of the jaguar. 
One of the things I loved is I've gone on this book tour and I went to a lot of schools um, to talk about the book with kids. And one kid uh, raised his hand in the assembly. It was like, the scientists should keep in mind that the photos they have of the jaguars are photos of them when they're really excited. So they shouldn't consider that as like normal jaguar behavior, which was so smart and like a good point. I was like, I'm sure they are considering that. But um, it was fun to like that the book was sort of turning wheels in his head to make him think about that. No, yeah, that, and and I mean any good book does that. I yeah, think, it was but nice. Is, it, no, and and so um, kids they have to take to these books because they're easy, yeah, and fun to look at as well as read. Yeah, it's fun. Um, my favorite. Um, reviews by kids are ones that start with like I hate books but I had to read this one and I really did like the part about turtles or something it seems nice if you can win someone over who starts their review with I hate this but they end up liking it I think I've always thought books are fun so I'm biased but um, kids have like really been the inspiration Um, I I don't know why I wrote down I think just because there there are things that like binturongs oh yeah binturongs yeah. Um, that smell like popcorn. Is that the one that's about them? Uh, it's a Southeast Asian cat. Yeah, binturongs are so cool. If you haven't seen one, they're this. They look a bit like a really large black cat, just very soft, long hair, really long creature, and they just sort of lie on a branch, just sort of like someone took all their bones out. They're just really, just sort of relaxed there. Very cool animals. Wow, and uh, you've obviously kept all of this in your head. I guess so. Yeah, I used to, I used to have a party truck where I was like, name an animal, and I could tell you a fact about it. Lately, I think I'm a little rusty. <laughs> I have too many other things in my head too, but it's hard not to think about them. And like I said, it's so tempting to bring them up in conversation. If you smell popcorn, you want to say there's an animal that smells like popcorn, um, but it's usually more confusing than interesting. <laughs> no, no, I think that it's all interesting. Um, and what what else have you brought here? We have a. A stuffed? I oh, don't yeah. even know what it is. So this is a numbat. which a numbat? Yeah, this is a marsupial, one you could have seen in Australia, except they're really endangered. Um, so yeah, it's a. I did. Uh, I made some plush animals last year, and I thought it'd be fun to do instead of like your classic animals you're used to to do some of my favorites. So this is a numbat. So you designed this stuffed yeah, animal, so like and you worked, it, worked with a stuffed company. animal company. Yeah, and this is the test one. I sold all the real ones, but this is the test one they sent, so I could approve it. And I was like, wow, yeah, looks really cute to me. And you did just numbats? I did numbats and koalas. The koala is a little big to fit in my bag, so I just brought you the numbat. Well, um, and, and that just reminds me that, you know, in preparation for this, I stopped by White Whale Books. Oh, yeah. I love White Whale. Yeah, it is a great bookstore. It is so fun. Yeah. Um, and you've actually done a mural for them. Yeah. They let me do a mural there, which is amazing. It felt, every time I get to sign in a book, I feel like I'm sort of vandalizing, and a mural really upped the game of vandalizing. It was so fun. And... Uh, in that case, did you actually, you were up on a ladder and you, yeah. and did you draw them freehand? Did you have them on paper? And- I like borrowed a friend's projector. So I like drew them and then projected them because otherwise I didn't want to like, it, it looks different up close and far away. I didn't want to accidentally have like a numbat with huge ears or something. So. Um, and uh, then I, also then I see that you have other Editions. Yeah, I brought some other languages, which seemed fun. You were talking about how the book is organized by like reptiles and marsupials and fish and everything. In the Japanese edition, they actually organize it by type of sadness, which I thought was amazing. They're like doing a much 
they just like had a much more interesting take on it, in my opinion. They went so I I can't read Japanese, but there's like the sadness from being alone, the sadness from time passing, the sadness from being too busy, and they organized it that way. Oh, it says here sad animal facts in small letters yeah. here that we can read, and the rest of it <laughs> one is one little in, bit for us. Um, so interesting that yeah. they reordered. And do you think they've used some of your adult? Um, yeah. So <laughs> here, yeah, they use the bit from the back and then they add their own, they'll like add its weight or like how long it is and its weight and maybe it's on like classification. So they made it like a textbook almost. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, as they all are. And like, how exciting that must be. It's so cool to see the book in other languages. And it's been really fun. Th- this is and another so, language of meerkat. Yeah. So that's Spanish. And that one I know how to say because I helped them make some videos. Como piden pizza las suricatas. So that's... Suricatas. Suricatas is meerkats. It's fun. Last week I saw the cover for the Chinese edition, which is going to come out soon, um, in simplified Chinese. And they they had the cover. And it, you know, like you said, the meerkat is saying, who wants olives? And I asked the Chinese editor, I said, um, in America, olives are like a... Uh, a divisive pizza topping like some people like them some people don't is it the same in China because it's not if it's not you should change it to something that makes sense like the book cover should make and she was like no we don't all like olives here either some people like them some people don't so it's nice that that's like the whole world is like unsure of olives on pizza uh, I guess that's true olives I, I I think the most divisive is anchovies yeah yeah that's very I think I olives were like a little more divisive for kids I don't like anchovies I didn't want that on the <laughs> I, I love anchovies <laughs> because of a woman here at WQED. One day we were ordering pizza, and you know, uh, I I was in the whole camp of like I don't want anchovies yeah. fish on my pizza, and the, a woman who worked here, Fran DeSocio, said, uh, "No, you should try them. You know, they're really good." And, and you tried them just on that suggestion, just on that suggestion, on a whole slice or on a whole pizza. I guess on a slice. Okay. I mean, actually, I love that about you. Can always just order the anchovies on the side because most people, I think, don't want anchovies. Yeah. But I also know from cooking that if you include anchovies, people will probably really love this and say, oh, this is so good. And they're not going to know why. Oh, wow. Just have to keep your mouth shut. Gosh, maybe I do like anchovies like no one's told me. (laughs) Yeah. They're salty. And (laughs) I don't know, is that umami? Yeah. You know, the the, the taste is just really wonderful. I I used to... uh, like if you steam mussels with some anchovies yeah. in the, in the uh, liquid, it, it really helps. Sort of just like a cheat code. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, and uh, I, I don't want to know what else is here. And I haven't I looked at all of these. some random stuff. This is, so Boaz and I do a lot of projects together. And a few years ago, we were making this book together. There's like a Jewish holiday where you read a book, like as part of the holiday. So we're like, oh, we should make our own we realized that was a massive project. So (laughs) that's still in progress. That's why that one still has notes. But I thought this was interesting to bring to talk about like how I illustrate. A lot of times I'll draw everything that will be black and then I'll scan it. And then a lot of times I do the color on my computer because it's just a little, I can get it a little more even. Um, So this is sort of like what my drawings look like before before their book drawings. They'll just be black that are sort of all over a page. I'm just trying to save as much paper as possible. And then I'll scan them and then put the color in and post. Um, I'm just sort of interested uh, because it doesn't appear to be. Do you ever get tired of drawing? Um, my hand gets really tired sometimes. If I'm like working on a deadline, then I'll sort of get a really sore wrist. But I always, I just like drawing. It's just sort of a way I'm expressing myself, I guess. So yeah, I don't, I don't really get tired of it emotionally. 
I see. I know in one of the little pamphlets, you had like a whole lot of pictures of dogs, I think. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I just went page after page and they just they all had a different name. Yeah. Um, that I think that was a zine we did where we asked people to submit what animal they'd seen most recently. Um, and a lot of people had seen their dog most recently. So it was a lot of dogs to draw. And, 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 and this, I'm, I'm not sure what this is. This is a, sorry, can't talk right now. <laughs> this is a project I did. So before I had my book, I used to make, just a zine is like a small book you make yourself. Okay. Um, and I really like making zines because it doesn't, it can be as short or as long as you want and you're done. And this is a zine I made for an art project for, have you been to Meow Wolf or have you heard of it? No. It's very cool. They should have one in Pittsburgh. It's nice. But it's sort of like an immersive art experience. And this one's about space. So they asked me to make, um, any type of zine I wanted, and I made one about imaginary animals. Um, and I love making imaginary animal facts. So they're animals that aren't real with their facts about them. Wow. And then this, I mean, you don't print this yourself. No. So they printed that one, um, and they have it for sale at the art But some art of these exhibit. that I've gotten, like, as Christmas cards. Yeah, these ones you can print just on your home printer and staple them. And... Uh... I don't know. I'm just so fascinated with the output. And, yeah. you know, uh, you know uh, this is all going on uh, here in Pittsburgh. Here's Meet the Koala and Numbat. Oh, here's yeah. the Numbat. Oh, yeah, so this is a zine I made to sort of introduce people to... Oh, the... these were the stuffed animals. Yeah, because they know the koala, but the Numbat's a little more unusual. And I think it's nice because if you're, I don't know, if you're making a book or a zine... I guess because I've always liked doing it. I like you can just make it however you want. It doesn't have to be like a book you've seen at a bookstore. It doesn't have to like follow any rules. And let's see what so. this is. This is another drawing. I could have held it for a few more minutes, but I wanted a snack. This is in one of the this books. This is, I don't know what this is. I brought some pretty random stuff. I think this might be um, from that bus ad campaign. But these are just sort of examples of that yeah that was the before it was in the book that's what it looked like yeah I, what, what, it, what i'm interested in is how big you do them yeah so i mean and it, it looks like there's some that are very small yeah so some of them i'll do pretty fine and i try to be consistent for the project so if it's like if it's gonna have some that are small then i'll just make them all small and um What's coming next? Um, I've been working with, I've been talking with some of the scientists who were in this book who were like, oh, it's fun to talk. I love the book. We should keep working together, which is like my dream. So I'm hoping that there'll be a new book coming out soon that'll be about scientists who try to gross out animals. Who try to gross out yeah, animals um, that was on one purpose. Of my, yeah. So animals, you think like, oh, they're, you know, they're rolling in dirt. They're like sniffing poop. They're like doing whatever. It's impossible to gross them out. But every animal can be grossed out by something. And much like the poop, it's not only interesting, but it's like really important to like grossing, being grossed out is what keeps us alive. Um, you know, knowing what's dangerous. And my aversion to anchovies, maybe saving my life, Rick. So it's been a fun thing to learn about. You know, there's a little bit of that in, in I think, Meerkats about a, a scientist who worked with putting food near yeah. real poop and artificial poop and you know, to see how yeah. the animals reacted differently to those. And it seems, you know, it, it sounds like an art project or something, but it's so important. And it's, it's helping us understand, like, where we differ from primates and how we differ from other animals and what things are, like, universally gross and what things are, what things are saving us. Wow. Um, I, I wrote this down just because I think we all think about this a lot, especially now here in Pittsburgh, but I think in New York City, too, and everything is... 
Uh, what do you think about spotted lanternflies? Oh my gosh, they are really pretty. They are they're really so pretty. pretty. It's funny to have people visit and they'll be like, "Wow, look at that beautiful!" And then I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> "Just go weird so fast." They're like, "What are you doing?" Because they're. I think if you haven't seen them before, they're so pretty. They look like a watercolor. And the red that shows yeah. up when they open their wings is just yeah. It's really, I've never, um, I feel like we're like living in a moment in history. Like I feel all the time. It was really interesting how they came so fast. So, Yeah. And like um, my friends who live down south, they don't have them I yet. know. They don't have them even, um, even just if you travel a little bit, they don't have them. I feel like I've gone. You're exactly right. Because I think my brother who lives just about a hundred miles north of here, yeah. he lives at Pimatuning Lake. He said, we don't have them yeah, here. Yeah. I've traveled, you know, you go just like two hours and they're not there. Wow. Um, but you know, uh, I guess, and you, you said you read the newspaper and sometimes get stuff there. So, I mean, uh, can you remember a time when you were really surprised at where you got the information? Gosh, that's a good question. I think, um, I think one thing, wow, that's a really good question. I like, sometimes the newspaper will have a feature like for a holiday. So it'll be like for Valentine's Day or Father's Day or you know, longest day of the year, whatever, and they'll put some animal facts in there. And I think most people are like, oh, Valentine's Day, I'll read this. But me, I'm like, oh, spider's chewing off. It's like going right to the... So I feel like I'm often, I'm like always zeroed in. If it's supposed to be for something else and there's an animal fact, I'm just like going right to it. And and I'm, I don't know that I'm that sensitive to that, but maybe now I will, with my heightened awareness, I'll see the animal facts. They throw them in, yeah. Because um, they'll, I feel like animal facts are just, universally beloved maybe i'm biased but there'll be things around different holidays where they'll bring in a, an animal fact well and i i noticed here that we also have uh, the book you wrote with yeah your husband Boaz, let's be weird together yeah i remember i gave this to my sister and <laughs> her partner bill <laughs> um and uh but you know uh it's really more for adults yeah this one is really about couples and how whether it's like a romantic partner or a friend or anyone you like as you develop a relationship, you have like your own weird language and your own things that you're into. That was a fun book to write. And and did it affect your relationship? I don't think it did. It's it affected it for the time being, where it's like where a you lot were of studying each other. Yeah, no, <laughs> just I guess we were sharing more files back and forth instead of pictures of our dog, so that changed things slightly. But um, we used to make a calendar together pre Pittsburgh. We made a page a day calendar for six years. Um, where every day, you know how usually a calendar is like, it's a Sudoku or it's space facts or it's pictures of cats. And this one, every day was a different theme. So one day is Sudoku, one day is a space fact, one day is a picture of a cat, um, which as you can imagine was like a dog. A lot of task. work. It took so a much. lot of work. So we did it for six years and then we thought, let's do something that people won't um, rip pages off one day at a time and throw them in the recycling. <laughs> so it's fun to do a book. Wow, yeah, no, and because and, we keep books. We still keep yeah. books. Yeah, a, a calendar is like very ephemeral. I feel like it's such a, and there's only one time to buy it. Like you're not going to buy a calendar in October. Now's no, the time yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. no. Uh, and actually in our edit room, we have a calendar from 2020 that we oh, still wow. move up because oh, that was the year that oh, sort of strange. disappeared. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, you're here in Pittsburgh now. And I, I always like to ask people, like, you know, are there surprises about living here that you really, you know, didn't expect? You said you expected history. Yeah, I think I've been surprised. I thought Pittsburgh would be like totally 
unbikeable. When we got here, I saw all the hills and I was like, well, that's it. But I've been surprised, um, I guess, at my own strength. Just like I've now the hills don't seem that much anymore. Maybe I'm ready for that bike race where you go up all the hills. Oh, yeah, the dirty dozen. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I feel like it's, I now when I go to a flat place, it just seems wrong. I feel like cities should feel like a crumpled map like this. Oh, that's interesting. I know that I've had that feeling in Ohio and farther west. Like, I, I, I wonder how. How do people know where to turn? Yeah, space feels really different. So I think I was surprised at how quickly I got used to that. All right. Um, do you have a favorite place to go and eat here? I Gosh. mean, it doesn't have to be a favorite yeah. or, you know, uh, you know, one of many favorites or anything. Like, there are, are there places? Well, you have my favorite right in front of me. I love Five Points. Five Points Bay? Yeah, I'm obsessed with Five Points. That was when we found Five Points. I was like, I really want to. It must have started about the time you arrived Yeah, I think it started just before. And they expanded um, in 2020, like right at the beginning. So, yeah, we got here like a year before then. You've been here since? Uh, 2019. 2019. So before the pandemic. Yeah. But not long before the pandemic. Yeah, not long before. If you go to Five Points, you might see my dog outside waiting while I'm inside getting something. I love Five Points. Yeah? Like what's your favorite thing there? Um. I like the croissant, pretty basic. Oh, yeah? yeah. I had a cheese croissant from there yesterday, oh, which I'd really? never seen before. Gosh, I don't know if I have either. They said it said new. Yeah, they have like different things all the time. The scones are always different. I like that about it. Cool. Any other places? Yeah, definitely. I really like Hidden Harbor. Um, the Tiki Bar? Yeah. I just love a Tiki Bar. I think it's so fun. I, it seems so cool that we have one in Pittsburgh, and such a good one. It, it is a good one. And, yeah. And like, I, I love the fact that they're so careful about how they make their drinks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, everything's fresh, and all it's the an juices art. are... Yeah. You're getting, like, a little bouquet, a little masterpiece on top of your drink. Yeah. No, that... Uh, good. Uh, I love Hidden Harbor. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, Hidden Harbor and Independent Brewing and next independent door. Brewery That's where I play records on DJ. Wednesday night. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. But I, and sometimes we'll we'll go over if it's too crowded uh, after we play records. Oh, we nice. have dinner. Well, they feel like the same place, really. They, well, they share a kitchen. Yeah, there's such a. They share a kitchen so, and a menu. If so. you're in one, you're at you're at. If you're in one, you're in the others. But except that you know the the tiki bar has true authentic tiki stuff i mean it's so impressive there's a whole culture of tiki that uh i think i wasn't aware of yeah when i always tell people pittsburgh like punches above its weight on everything i feel like everything we have we have it in like such a good version like people are so nice here and it feels like a neighborhood it feels like a small town but we have such amazing things well that's cool no i uh you know i i i I know that when i moved back to pittsburgh i was away for 16 years um, but I do love that about Pittsburgh, that it seems to be perpetually surprising. Yeah. You know, that there's always something new or a, an odd angle or something. Um, and I, I think it has something to do with the fact that at the beginning of the 20th century, as the 19th century became the 20th century, um, we were almost a world capital. Yeah, we were really fancy. You know, the richest men in the world lived here and industry was booming and... Uh, Oil had been first pumped from the ground just north of Pittsburgh. <laughs> that's that's one of those things that we forget. Yeah. Oil from Pittsburgh, you know, um, but yeah. Um, it's seen a lot. Yes. So, um, I don't know. I'm just so glad that you're here. Oh, my gosh. I'm delighted. Thanks for letting me explode my backpack all over your table. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I just want to make sure that everybody knows and like, I mean, White Whale Books is a great place to get these. Yeah, it's the best place to get them, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know this that, you know, uh, Meerkats was on their bestseller table. <laughs> I'm so honored, I feel like. Well, every time I go in White Wheel, I just come in thinking I don't need anything, and then they'll have, like, an amazing recommendation. So they No, it's know. a really great independent bookstore um, that we should all know about. It's in Bloomfield right on, yeah. uh, what is that, Liberty? Yeah, and you can just get a coffee there and sit or can do whatever. Right. Uh, I don't, you know. I remember when it was just half. In fact, yeah. I, think I, I was at an event where you and Boaz were both there. Yeah. Um, and uh, now it's got, it's doubled it's cool in size. It's cool expanded because now they have that Beauty and the Beast bookcase ladder situation. <laughs> That's nice to look at. All right. So everybody knows that, you know... Uh, uh, Brooke Barker is is your name, and that's what you want to ask for when you get to the bookstore or the library. Or the library, yeah. They have it at the library. Um, I don't know that they have all these different get. languages. Not the different languages, but they won't have those at White Will either. Cool, and and, and we'll look forward to a, a gross-out book. Yeah, get ready. All right. Hey, every, everything's exciting as far as what everything I've seen, so thank <laughs> you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for the cookie from my favorite place. <laughs> Excellent. This Gum Bands podcast is made possible by the Buell Foundation, serving southwestern Pennsylvania since 1927, and by listeners like you. Thank you. Thank you.